You're listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast, Episode 11. As human beings, most of us want to do good in this world. We want to give back, we want to make a difference, and we want to help others when we can. There are millions of amazing nonprofit organizations around the world that do all those things and more. They champion causes, lift people up, and generally make this world a better place. Along with all the good works they do, they're also trying to run a business, just like any other corporate company. They need funding, effective marketing, and messaging that will reach those who will support them. Christy Porter saw this need when she started getting involved with anti-sex trafficking organizations in Atlanta, Georgia. She saw that nonprofits needed effective ways of getting their messaging out to their audience and how she could help. In this episode, Christy and I talk all about how to work with nonprofits and how it might differ a little from working with traditional corporate companies. We also discuss tons of great ways on how to solidify your messaging and improve your marketing that is great for nonprofit and for-profit companies. I was so inspired by Christy's giving spirit and knowledgeable insights into the marketing world, and I know you will be too. So let's jump in. Listening to the Hustlenomics podcast, a podcast all about inspiring female creative entrepreneurs, their stories, experiences, and life lessons. Hear from women across the U.S. working in creative industries who are breaking the rules and doing things their way. Learn from their challenges, struggles, failures, and successes, and get an inside look at their top tools and resources that help them along the way. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Hustlenomics podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and I am so excited about my interview today. I'm talking with Christy Porter. She's a writer and consultant who helps nonprofits and social enterprises get noticed and grow through effective marketing and communications. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am excited. I'm excited anybody who wants to help women entrepreneurs. (laughs) Absolutely. So would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I have a background in marketing, PR, advertising, kind of all the business communication realm that I've used in various areas. And right now I'm helping um, nonprofits and social enterprises, especially, um, like you said, get noticed and grow through effective marketing and communication. So really, um, I kind of describe it, if if a lot of those words are unfamiliar, then I kind of describe it as helping do good businesses get noticed and grow because I help them look more professional, sound more professional, which gets them more attention, more donors and sales and helps them do more good in the world. That's awesome. So do you have a a background or education in marketing and advertising and all that? Or is it something that's self-taught? I do a lot of writing, which is mostly self-taught. The writing or the marketing and communications part, I do have a business comm degree and I've sort of utilized that in a lot of different places. So I always tend to say marketing and communications are a skill that I've learned and the people I help are my passion. So what made you choose to work with nonprofit businesses over maybe a, a more corporate type business? Um, I first became aware of the issue of sex trafficking, um, especially here locally in the Atlanta area in 2006. And it kind of just, my world stopped at that time. And I started really getting involved in the social justice movement here and um, around the world and kind of trying to educate myself and was already working at a nonprofit um, at that time and was trying to figure out how I could play more in that space. And so that was kind of led from one thing to another. And 
decided that I could go into one nonprofit. You know, most of us work in, in one job or another, and I could go in there and work in one place and help them and dig in and do really well, or I could help a bunch of different organizations. And because I already had a lot of friends who had nonprofits and social enterprises, which if you're not familiar, is sort of a business nonprofit hybrid. It's fairly new over the last few years um, where they have a social mission, but they do it in a for-profit model. So I thought I can go in there and help all these little organizations that may not have the ability to hire someone like me full time. And so it was just sort of the intersection of, like I said, my skills versus my passions and you know where they intersect right now is helping these little guys with their marketing and communications, which I think is so fun because I want to help especially small businesses, get their message out. Yeah, I love being able to work with companies that have such a good cause. It adds real meaning to what you're doing. Absolutely. So walk me through a little bit. So you said you were working with a nonprofit, and then you decided I could actually have more of an impact working maybe with a bunch at one time doing consulting. Or what was that kind of transition going from working full time for that nonprofit to actually working with uh, multiple companies? It really came as a result of my friends. Um, I had been in marketing and communications, both at nonprofits and for profits over the years. And kind of through my work with the social justice um, community here in Atlanta, became got more of these relationships, became friends with these people, with the owners. And so, of course, you know, you're a photographer, so I'm sure you get a lot of photography questions, just like I do marketing and communication. So it was sort of the low hanging fruit when I was trying to decide what to do next. I looked around and these guys were already asking me marketing and communications questions. And I knew that they weren't big enough to have somebody like me on staff. But I said, hey, if I go out and do this on my own, would you guys pay for project work? And the resounding answer was yes. So that was sort of the easy next step was the ability to help my friends in more meaningful ways. Yeah, I love that. Did you go straight to full-time working for yourself or was there a transition period where you kind of were working another nine to five job and doing this on the side? What was that like? I've been freelancing for probably 15 years. It was something I just sort of fell into. I used to work at a boutique hospitality public relations firm. And one there was a local magazine that was doing a profile on one of our clients and the journalist had a family emergency. So they said, do you have somebody in, at the agency who can help out? And so they said, you know, I was doing most of the writing for the agency at that time. So they asked me if I would do it. And I was like, oh yeah, people pay for this. I kind of forget about that. And so um, I had been, you know, mostly just working on, again, however I made those connections somebody said, oh, do you need something written? Christy can do that. Or my friend said, hey, I just have this small project. Can you help out here? And so I had been sort of doing that on the side, not really intentionally or purposefully, but you know, it was just extra money coming in. Then um, whenever I really decided to make the transition, I went ahead and I had a little bit in savings, but I had already had these, these existing relationships. So it made it a lot easier to go ahead and make the leap um, rather than keeping the full-time day job at the same time. Yeah, I think that's really important what you just said about relationships. You know, a lot of people have this dream of going full-time with their side hustle or their freelance mm -hmm. or all that stuff. But I love that you mentioned you were building these relationships all the time from the very beginning when you were still working that other job. And then when you decided, hey, it's time to actually move over, they were already in place and you already had them there to kind of work with moving forward. I think that's a really important step that sometimes people forget. Or, or it's skip. hard. It's so hard to be patient. <laughs> Once you have the dream, you're just ready to jump in. I certainly... 
I don't know if I did it the best way possible. I could have stayed at my old job for a little while longer and continued to build up the side. And some people tend to drag that out and then they just get kind of miserable. And I didn't want to reach that standpoint either. So, you know, I think each of us has to find their own mix. But I was very fortunate that, you know, people I'd been volunteering for were willing to now pay me. So finding, yeah, however you need to build your existing network so that it isn't just a straight free fall is always more beneficial. Yeah. And that's interesting. Actually going from volunteering to being a paid freelancer, I'm sure that some of those conversations probably were maybe difficult or awkward or just, you know, they weren't even being asked that before. So do you mind walking me through a little bit how you can transition if somebody is, you know, volunteering for something that they're really passionate for and they want to make it into a business, how to navigate those waters of going from a volunteer to somebody who's paid for the work? Sure. Yeah, for me, um, fortunately, it wasn't as big a deal, like I said, because these people were already asking for my value and knew I couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't give it to them on the level that I wanted to in my current situation. Then another one, I had already been volunteering for them for several years before, you know, they approached me. They were actually um, my first client as a freelancer, but I'd already had a re- existing relationship with them for a long time. So they already knew my worth. People who had a lot of influence in the organization could speak to who I was, my character, what I did for them, how I could help them. So obviously it's great when you have that champion on the inside that does help influence decision-making, but you know, I certainly wouldn't recommend, oh, I showed up for a couple of their meetings and now I'm gonna approach them as a client. I mean, sometimes of course it could work, but you really have to have a strong relationship. So a lot of these weren't brand new relationships. They were people I had been cultivating. I, I didn't know that they were going to be future clients, but I had been building those relationships for a long time because you know, I showed them that I cared, I showed up for them, I promoted their work just because I had a love of what they were doing. And I'd already proved, my, you know, in essence, proved my worth to them by the time I made this decision. It wasn't somebody brand new to me. It wasn't any of that. So, it's, you know, the biggest asset any of us have in our um, businesses is our relationships, whether that's somebody that becomes a direct client, somebody that becomes a referral, somebody that writes a blog post for you. I mean, anything under the sun, but it's always a matter of what you can give to them and not just go out seeking, hey, I'm going to make a relationship with this person because they can benefit me in some way. I mean, obviously people see through that. So as long as you're working for the good of that person in their organization, I mean, I, you know, half the time I feel like I'm talking people out of doing things that would damage their organization in some way, or that's not putting their best forward and foot forward. And whenever you show them those things that you do show them that you're working in their best interest. Definitely. And I think that's something that would be, you know, kind of a good tactic. If you see a company that you're really invested in and you think it's, you know, they're doing great work and you would love to maybe work with them down the line, start volunteering first. So you can, like you did build those relationships get that credibility, you know, know and trust people who work there. And I think that's kind of a good tactic if you're trying to eventually maybe see if you could work together in the future. Yeah, for sure. Even, you know, there are people that I just maybe influencers or somebody that I don't really stand a chance of maybe working with them. They're not my ideal client, whatever it is, but I like their website. I like what they're doing sometimes as a, (laughs) I call myself a word nerd. So as a word nerd, I see lots of grammar and punctuation or things like that. So if I'm talking to somebody and having those conversations, 
I do what I would want somebody else to do. I say, hey, I, I noticed this on your website. This link is broken, this, you know, whatever, whatever. And it again, it just builds that continual goodwill and showing them, hey, I really want you to do well. I really want you to succeed. And that comes through so beautifully to other people. Definitely. So if someone is interested in getting into working with nonprofits um, like you are, what was there something that was different working with a more corporate side compared to the nonprofits? Anything that you would say, hey, here's something that you might not know about working with them that might mm-hmm. be helpful down the road? Um, I was having a conversation not long ago with a, a group of people at a conference that were all nonprofits. And we were sort of talking about this. Somebody wanted to get involved working with them. And, you know, we were like, okay, how would, how would you show them that? And the main thing I think for nonprofits, because they're so dependent on funding, is you want to show consistency with them and you want to show that you're there to stay. So, you know, even if you go in and say, hey, I want to, um, you know, donate part of this month's profits to you or I want to volunteer at your organization, then, you know, a lot of them may come through very skeptically just because so many people have burned them in the past or didn't fulfill an obligation or anything else. So, as long as you state your intentions and if it is if it is a relationship you want to build with them, let them know and let them help guide that conversation rather than just coming in and saying, here's how I can help you and here's how I'm going to do it and everything else. But they're looking for consistency and especially longevity, whether that's, you know, you may not feel like you have a lot to give and that doesn't matter. Honestly, everything you can do helps them in some way. And so it's just trying to, again, go back to building that relationship and letting everybody know what the expectations are rather than just swooping in or coming in with big promises and then them never hearing from you again and and things like that, which is, you know, what none of us would want, but especially nonprofits have been burned by that so much in the past. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they get that a lot. (laughs) So I would love to hear a little bit about how you um, kind of go in and work with clients. Where do you start when someone um, hires you as a freelancer? Yeah, the great thing about being a solopreneur is you can be very flexible. Um, so I, you know, I don't know that there's a completely standardized process for everything. That's something as I grow, I'll have to probably bend towards. But right now, it's really up to however it works best for them. Obviously, it usually starts with a phone call or a meeting, or if they're here locally. Um, Sometimes they're not even 100% sure what they need or they only see the immediate need right in front of them. So a lot of times when people come to me, it's we need a new website or we're launching this product or we have a fundraising campaign. It's this immediate need, but I have to come in and start and say, okay, let's look at everything as a whole because it's a very holistic picture that you're trying to paint. If you haven't talked to your database in six months and they're suddenly getting an email from you just wanting money, then that's probably not the best way to approach them. So however I work with the client, whatever their immediate need is, I always try and look at the holistic picture and paint that as a very real picture for them. And, you know, they may need to do some on-ramp before they actually start the main thing that's in front of their face. Um, So it may be emails that need to be sent. It may be social media accounts that need to be active or even deactivated. If they haven't been on there for a long time and they have no intention of using it, um, then, you know, people are always excited by a first impression. And so if you haven't used Twitter in the four years that you've opened that account, nobody's going to go back and check to see if you used it the next month. So it's trying to look at them um, as a holistic picture because one of the things that people often come to me both for-profit and non-profit are like, okay, I'm ready to start my marketing. How do we do that? And my answer is always, 
well, I don't know if this is good or bad news, but you've already been marketing. <laughs> Surprise. So it's a matter of getting their efforts intentional and strategic and looking at the entire picture rather than just the immediate need right in front of them. So really a lot of the way I work with nonprofits is a lot of the way you would work with anybody in general, hopefully. But um, yeah, it just depends on their unique needs and trying to get to the heart of what they want to say and making sure that they're talking to people in a way that um, you know, doesn't just come across as always asking, that they're also giving, that they're also telling those transformational stories of how um, the needs are being met for the, the people that they're serving. And that's what we all want in the nonprofit, especially anyway, is to know how are you serving? How are you making things better? And how can I be a part of that work? Yeah. And I've worked in marketing for a little while. And I've noticed that a lot of companies and brands, they know what they want to say, or hopefully they do, and it, but they just don't know how to say it. So that messaging struggle is definitely real and present. And a lot of people that I've seen, do you come across that a lot? I do. Um, you know, a lot of times we need to be sure that one, our marketing is very, what I call approachable, which is obviously a term that's used a lot now, but, um, just making sure that somebody can go in and read that and understand it because we tend to use jargon and we tend to use insider language and things that mean a lot to us or use lots and lots of words to describe something. And while I wish as a person who loves writing and loves to read writing, I wish everyone would go in and read every single word on every single website, but it's just not going to happen. So um, yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge in anyone getting their message across is making sure the words are relatable, make sure it's very easy to understand and not using language that either your audience would not use or that's very technical or insider and using, you know, saying as much as you can in as few words as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I go to a website and on the front page, there's more than five words that I don't know. I'm usually yeah. logging off. At that yeah, point. it's whatever you can skim and get the most out of. And if you don't get much out of it, then you're probably going to move on. Yeah, that's definitely. Good. So you said you work with marketing, but I mean, that's quite a broad term. So I'd love to hear about, do you do, you know, all the web design, the writing, the, you know, SEO, do you do all of that yourself or do you have a team? Um, it is all me. I've had a couple interns and I'm actually in the process of looking for more now because my two just moved on and they were awesome. So right now that's how I'm starting um, and trying to get everything off the ground. That way, obviously, the plan will be to incorporate more people as I grow. But right now, most everything is falls into two main buckets, which I really love and love being hands-on in. And one is the word-related portion. So whether it's writing anything for print or online, um, so it's the word related side. The other bucket of that is the marketing strategy consulting. So I don't do web design. I don't do hands on social media management, but I, a lot of what I do, especially at small organizations is helping them figure out what they can do from a marketing standpoint that is manageable and that they can find a consistency with rather than just going, Oh, we were going to blog, but this other thing came up or we meant to post on our social media this week, but it just didn't happen. And so really helping people find a consistency that they can stick with. It may not be the ideal consistency, but I'd rather them start small and grow into that and get used to that and get their tribe used to it rather than just sitting it out for another couple of months. So it's usually everything word related or marketing strategy related. And then I'm kind of currently working on a third bucket um, that sort of became a need that um, a couple people asked me to address, which was helping regular for-profit organizations 
um, figure out how to incorporate philanthropy because it was just something that they wanted to do, but they don't have any idea how to do it. They want to be generous, but they're not sure what that looks like, whether it's a partnership or a donation or a combination of both or whatever. So that's kind of the third bucket I'm venturing into right now because, you know, it's it, with the people I work with, I would love as many businesses as possible to be generous. Yeah, that's super interesting. So what advice do you give for-profit companies that are more interested in being generous and want to incorporate that into their, their business model? Yeah, again, it goes back to, um, especially if you want to partner with a nonprofit, what does that look like? What is sustainable to you? And I think sometimes we come in and we think, oh, I don't have thousands of dollars to give to this nonprofit, so I'm just going to wait until I do. But really, it is a matter of how, you know, you may have time, you may have services, you may have small donation amounts you can give. Um, and they're happy to have it all. I mean, when I worked at a very small environmental nonprofit, um, we were fairly widely known, but we only had four employees. So we would have just like loved anyone to death who would come in and file for us. You know, I mean, some people that is what they love to do or take pictures for us at our events or some of those things that, you know, we had to pay people for or go out and find. And if somebody had showed up on our doorstep with those kinds of skills, it would have just been Christmas all over again. So I think you know, finding just the ways you can help finding both your gifts, your skills, your talents. And that could be, it could be time or it could be money, but finding out what you have to give and then approaching a cause that you love and saying, you know, what do you need? Um, and again, being very clear on the, how you want to work with them, how long you want to work with them. If it's, you want to give to somebody different every month, totally fine. Just communicate that. So I think those are great places to begin. It could just be volunteering at their events. A lot of these um, both the for-profit and non-profit, uh, social enterprises and non-profits, you know, they have booths at local events and they need people to man them. So there's that kind of thing. And then just, you know, on a very personal level, the best way to get started is being really conscious of your choices. I mean, we all have the power to vote every day just by the things that we buy. And, you know, there are shoe companies and glasses companies and um, pretty much everything under the sun now that has a charitable aspect to it. So just spending your dollars more wisely in those ways just helps put you in a better mindset overall. Yeah. And I work with a lot of people who are solo entrepreneurs or have a small business business or just started their own business. So mm -hmm. I think you mentioning that it doesn't have to be money. And it, mm -hmm. even if it is money, it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. Right. Even just Thing, like I am good at you know, whether it's photography or, or like you said filing like even just those things that you would probably think oh no they don't you know want me there that's just like nobody will care about that but that's super important to remember that those little things go a long way for sure yeah or if you know you're just posting about them on your social media accounts whenever it's you know an important moment in their history or anything you can do to help get the word out um they'll be so appreciative for it. And it, you know, it'll make you feel good. But I think we all get caught up in the what I have isn't enough, whatever enough is for you, whatever you think it is, but just have a conversation with them and you'll be really surprised. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I want to take a short break from the show to invite you to continue the conversation by joining our Facebook group, the Hustlenomics Mastermind. This is a dedicated place to chat with guests that were featured on the podcast, ask questions, cheer each other on, and of course, make friends. I wanted to create this group so we can have a dedicated community where we can support each other and feel just a little less alone in our journey. To join the group, just go to the Hustlenomics Podcast Facebook page and click Visit Group. Everyone is welcome. Also, if you're enjoying the show so far, would you please consider leaving a review on iTunes? 
It helps me bring on more of the kinds of guests that you guys want to hear from. All right, back to the show. Yes. Yeah, so when you're working with um, a company or if you would be giving advice to someone who's just starting out in their marketing efforts and they, I guess, feel a little lost or they just don't know where to start, what would be a good suggestion for them to what would be like the first thing to tackle to get a good trajectory moving forward? Yeah. Um, first of all, try not to overwhelm yourself. That's the easiest thing to do when there are so many people. I think we look to all these experts who seem like they have it all together or who have been in business. You know, I constantly compare myself to where somebody else is. I'm like, oh yeah, they're five years ahead of me or they have a larger team or whatever it is. So, you know, the first thing is to not overwhelm yourself. So especially with things like social media, we all feel, I think, the pressure of opening every account under the sun and posting every day and this, that, and the other. But find one thing that you love and where your audience is hanging out and start doing that really well. You can always tell those people, hey, you can also now find me on, you know, X, Y, or Z, but start to a place that you can, you can really start and focus well. And then also build your email list because as much as social media is this shiny object of the marketing world, and I'm not sure that will change. Email list is still has the highest ROI. It's still where the majority of sales come from. Um, And it's the best way to talk to people. You get more than 280 characters or how many ever words, and you can say what you need to say. You can say it in a series of message and more people are going to see that than they will all of those Facebook posts that you've been diligently typing out or trying to figure out on Instagram, which hashtags to use. And all of that is important, no doubt. But an email list is still the best thing for your buck. It's just not the one we continually look at or the one that gets thrown in our faces all the time. So, um, you know, and I, and the third part of that is I think the hardest part of being an entrepreneur and you might agree, especially with several projects that you're working on is trying to stay focused because every day brings a hundred new ideas and it's hard not to chase the rabbit holes and figure out, Oh, this sounds more fun or this looks productive or this might bring in more money or whatever it is, but you have to really get in and give something a good chance and stick with it for a while to see, should you pivot? Should you change? Should you go with something else? Whatever. But yeah, focus is, is the hardest part. So focus on your email list, focus on maybe one social media channel and focus on your service and doing it really well um, and getting the getting the momentum from there and learning from your tribe. Those are all like such good things. I want to talk about all of them. <laughs> I do want to go back to the email list because that is something that I keep hearing from all these marketing experts over and over and over and over again. And I just feel, I mean, even me personally, just how do you even get that started? I mean, especially with even these new laws coming out about capturing information mm-hmm. and just doing it in a legal way to start out with, but also... I know I feel a little lost. Like, where do you even start to get emails or be subscribers? Uh, yeah, your network, the people you already know. I mean, start there. I um, Before I started out, and I recommend this to all my clients as well, it's very time consuming, but well worth the effort, is creating a spreadsheet of literally going through all of your networks. Um, so I looked at my Facebook friends. I looked at my current email address book for you know my personal stuff. I looked at my LinkedIn connections. And I literally put together a spreadsheet of people I knew and how they might be able to interact with my business, whether it's should I ask them to be on my email list or in my Facebook group or 
Um, should I ask them to write a blog post? Are they a potential, you know, for a nonprofit, are they a potential donor or are they a potential person that would buy your service or product, that kind of thing. But once you have it all laid out in front of you, you kind of, I feel like are surprised by the number of people you do know, the relationships you do have and the favors that you can ask for because you're probably know these people well enough where you're happy to offer a favor in return when they need it and let them know that too. So you know, there are a lot of people that we already know, and that's the best place to start. Because the other difficult thing is there's so much emphasis put on email marketing techniques or advertising or whatever, but we should always start with the people we know first and branch out from there. Because my friends who've known me, and they may not be somebody that's going to ever buy my services, but they know me well enough to recommend me, refer me, they're happy to share about my services on social media. They're going to be my cheerleaders. So why wouldn't I want to start with them rather than let me go put something on Twitter about joining my email list and see who that brings in because that's just not the best use of your time and effort when you're just getting started. It's making use of those wonderful people who've been supporting you all along. Right. And so when you have those emails that you're going through, this might sound like a stupid question, but do you need to send them an email asking them, hey, can I put you on my email list? Is that something that you need to do first legally? Yeah, yes, please always get permission. <laughs> yes, let's put that out there. Big, bold underline. Always get permission. Never add anybody to your email list, your Facebook group, your Facebook page, whatever it is. Never ask anybody without their permission because even I know people that I love dearly and maybe they were childhood friends, but I am not located anywhere near their photography business that is in my hometown 2000 miles away. And I'm, you know, it's just never going to be something for me. So um, yeah, always get permission. You don't want to annoy the people who could be your cheerleaders. And obviously that's a legal requirement, but that's just a good rule of thumb regardless. Um, so yeah, you can send them an email list and, or send them an email telling them what you're doing, telling them why you think it, they would be a good fit or how you could benefit them and then give them a link to join your email, whether it's sold up in MailChimp or ConvertKit or ActiveCampaign or whatever it is, but you can send them a personal email and then just a link to get them on your list otherwise, but yes, let them opt in. Yes. I just wanted to mention that because you know, I, I always forget about, you know, mentioning the legal stuff, but it's so important. And I just want to, you know, anybody out there who's like, oh, I can just buy an email list and then yeah. send them stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. <laughs> you yeah. gotta, That'll gotta probably get- be a waste of your money anyway. Yes, I agree. I agree. So just talking about structuring an email campaign. Mm -hmm. um, So I'm sure all of us, we get emails every day in our inbox that we at one point subscribe to and we just automatically delete it. Like Mm -hmm. don't even look at what it says. Don't even open it. Um, What are some suggestions that you give to people when you work with them to kind of avoid that just automatic delete and get them to actually open your content and look through it? Well, the first thing is if you're sending email, obviously you've got to start with a great um, headline to get people to open. There's a tool that CoSchedule has, which is a social media scheduling um, tool that I actually don't use their tool, but they have these awesome free things that you can use um, called a headline analyzer and an email subject line analyzer. And so those are just free. Anybody can go on there and use them and you can type in your email subject and it'll give you a score. So just like in school, you're trying to get 70 or above. Um, but that's a great way. Obviously they're, they have their own science behind it and it's not going to be hundred percent all of the time because I've probably 
opened, you know, emails that would have a very low score, but they're either from somebody I know and like, or it sounded intriguing enough for me to open. But yeah, you have to give them with a headline, a reason to open in the first place. And then you have to back that up with really good content. So, um, you know, you want to make sure you're sending information to people that they would really love and that they would be clamoring for and waiting for the next edition. And that's not an easy thing. And it takes a lot of talking with your audience and seeing what they're most interested in. And, you know, if you can ever get in front of people just by personally having a conversation or a phone call or something to figure out those needs, if you're not entirely sure, then do that as well. I mean, there are so many things, the best marketing tactics, I feel like are the most time consuming, but they pay off the most in the end. And you're just never going to get any more clear or any better than a conversation with somebody. So you want to be sending them, you want to give them a reason to open using a great subject line, and then you want to follow that up with really great content. And so again, don't just be pushing stuff out because the expert told you you have to send something out every week. Um, because if you are just sending out junk every week, then you will just get a bunch of unsubscribes or not opens because you haven't proven yourself to them or anything else. So, you know, if your consistency is that you can only get something out every month, which is sort of the least frequency I would tell somebody as a suggestion, then I would say make that one really good so that they're excited the next time that comes around. Yeah, definitely. And tell me if you agree with this, but one thing that I have noticed in the emails that I actually open <laughs> that I've subscribed mm -hmm. to they always include a call to action. Like it's either, you know, visit my website or check out this new course that I'm offering or follow me on social media. But there's always something actionable for me to do at the bottom that a lot of the time I, I do, you know, but if it wasn't there, I would have never visited their website or followed what, whatever link that was. So do you agree that that's something good to include as well? Yeah. And depending on your frequency, you may not have to ask for that every time if you don't know what that is. But I would it needs to definitely be a consistent something you're asking them to do, whether it's, you know, here's a little blurb about my most recent blog post, click on over here to read it all to buy this or donate or whatever it is. But yes, a call to action because it gives you a purpose in sending other than just sending. Um, and that's the same advice I would give anybody for a blog post as well. If you're just putting in information out there to put information out there and then wondering why nobody's signing up for any of your stuff, it may be because you haven't asked them to. <laughs> right. And I know we kind of breezed by social media a little bit, but I would love to kind of circle back to it because it's mm -hmm. obvious, you know, you can't do marketing or work in marketing without hearing about social media like 50% of the time. Sure. Um, so... I would like to, I guess Facebook, I consider a little bit less prominent than Instagram. So I'd like to maybe just talk about Instagram. What are some tactics that you use to increase engagement? Because I feel like when you're using social media, what the goal is to have people engage with what you're doing on there. So what would be like maybe one or two tips that you have for somebody to kind of increase that engagement and start that conversation on Instagram? Um, I think the first is it seems very simple, especially if you use Instagram all the time, but use hashtags. <laughs> I see a lot of people post without any sort of hashtags, but you probably will not be reaching any new audiences until you start using a combination of both popular and maybe more um, niche hashtags that may only have a few hundred or a few thousand posts rather than a few million, which, you know, if somebody's posting, if you're posting hashtag entrepreneur, great. Some people may find you, but you're in a sea of millions and millions of people using that hashtag too. So 
less likely to get seen. So it's good to use a combination of those, but, um, or I see people only using made up hashtags, which is funny and cute, and, but at the same time, if nobody else is using it, nobody's gonna find you that way either. So I would say that's probably one. Um, and then, you know, we get up to 30. So it would be incredibly annoying on Twitter or Facebook or something to use 30 hashtags, but you can actually do that without completely annoying people in Instagram. And that's a great way to find audiences. So I would say that's one. Um, two, also make it really easy for people to take whatever action you need them to. So, you know, for a long time, a lot of us went in there and did the whole every blog post or whatever it was, the call to action was, we would change out the link in our profile. And the really great thing now is we have tools like Linktree is what I use. Um, so you can set up several links in there. So if I say, go read my latest blog post, and that's automatically updated to whatever my latest blog post is, I don't have to go out and change it every week. So that makes it easier on us, obviously, because you can post a couple of different links for people to take action on. And it also makes it easier for your audience because you know, links are still not hyperlinked. And I still see people going into um, their Instagram description and typing the entire link out or copying and pasting some enormous link in there nobody's ever going to use. So, you know, that you want to make it as easy as possible for people to take whatever action you've designated for them. So I would say those two as far as finding new audiences and then also getting greater engagement from the audience you already have. Yeah. And what was the name of that tool again? That you Linktree, L I N K T R E E. Linktree is the one I use. Um, there are multiple of them out there. Um, I use the free version of Linktree. I think it's really great. And I think that um, my other suggestion on that was they'll let you add a whole bunch of links for your, you know, you're like all of a sudden now you have all these links at your disposal. And it's so hard not to tell them to do 80 different things. But narrow down just to a couple of things. I usually have like, my main opt-in, my latest blog post, and then maybe a third one that I rotate on and off. And they're incredibly simple to just basically turn off and on like a light switch um, that I can use as sort of a third one for whatever needs to happen. So resist the temptation to add five or eight because then you'll just overwhelm people with the options and they probably won't take anything. Yes. And guys, I'll link to that in the show notes so you can find it there. I use a uh, bit.ly sometimes, which yeah. is really awesome because they show like stats on mm -hmm. who's clicked it and stuff so Love all those are really good and i am a hashtag fiend i mean i just <laughs> kind of started incorporating that in the last year and it is shocking how much of a difference it makes yeah right like putting 30 hashtags can get a little overwhelming especially if they're just willy-nilly don't make any mm -hmm. between each other and i always try to kind of narrow it down in a strategic way like for example if you're a Georgia or getting more specific and Atlanta calligrapher actually mm -hmm. going and looking through and hashtagging Atlanta, you know, in, in all of your hashtags, that makes a huge difference to kind of making you show up in that community. Yeah. And we all get excited when we find somebody that's awesome, but they're also right down the road. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you like would have never known. So I think that's definitely something to start incorporating if you are not already. Yes. So, okay. So now I'm, I'm going to double back again <laughs> to yeah. what you Oh, I will also say Instagram, unlike Facebook, um, doesn't like I, whenever I was opening social media accounts for my business, Instagram was just one where I chose to draw the line. I couldn't do another one. I have Facebook and Twitter and to do something well, I just wasn't going to add Instagram. But the great thing about Instagram and people do this constantly on Facebook as well, even though it's technically against the rules, is you can 
promote your own business. Obviously, I don't have business analytics or anything. If Instagram is going to be your main platform, then you do want all the analytics. But, you know, every Wednesday, you'll see me promote my latest blog posts and stuff like that. And so that's totally fine. If you already have something up and running personally, and you want to dip your toes in with Instagram, then start there and promote your business and, you know, do all that cross promoting um, there without having feeling the pressure to open up another account just because and also they just make it a little more cumbersome since you can't just copy and paste and do all the same easy things and they're learning to but they don't have all the same options for making it as easy to switch between accounts as the other platforms do yeah definitely and i'm actually glad you mentioned that because um you don't have to have all these accounts especially if they don't you know register with the audience that you're looking to reach so, I mean, like you said, you primarily use Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a really important to know that if you're trying to reach a demographic that's got money to donate to a nonprofit, they actually have some disposable income. Yeah, they might be a little bit older. They're probably not on Instagram as much as they might be on Facebook or Twitter. So it's like just understanding your audience can kind of help you narrow down oh. those accounts that you really can get rid yeah. of if nobody's even on there. Yeah. So um, staying focused, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, and that is something that I know we all struggle with, especially um, solo entrepreneurs or people who are working for themselves. Mm-hmm. So hard if you're working from home and the TV is right there and Netflix is right there <laughs> and the whole season of The Housewives you haven't watched. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, how do you kind of draw those boundaries and stay focused to, to uh, keep yourself going during the day when you're working from your home? Yeah, I think it really depends on your personality. I don't have a problem working from home. So I, I have, um, I just have music streaming all day. And that works for me. And I don't really get tempted to I have another friend who would continually get tempted when she worked from home. So she would have to work almost exclusively in coffee shops and things. And that worked for her. Um, And then I had another friend that he had an upstairs office and he literally would get dressed and showered like he was going to the office and he would go upstairs like he was going to an offsite office. And so it's figuring out what works for you and not trying to figure out, oh, this is what so-and-so does. So this is probably what I should do too. So, you know, if you can work on the couch like I can and just stream music and get things done, that's great. If you need an entire office, get yourself a beautiful office that you'll be excited to go work in. And if you need to go to a coffee shop, then Starbucks will welcome you with open, open arms, <laughs> you know, just figure out how you can get it done because it is, it is so important to focus and figuring out how you can actually get it done. Because if you can't, then you're, you will suffer in all kinds of ways. I love the idea of actually kind of getting dressed, putting on some nice clothes, you know, and kind of making that space professional because <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you when I've, I've worked from home, it's sweatpants all day, you know, didn't do my hair, but rarely do my makeup, Mm -hmm. but that didn't really affect me too much. But the idea of really getting dressed and saying, okay, now I'm at work and that's separate from when I'm at home, making that distinction, I feel like would be extremely helpful. Yeah. I think some people, it just gives them a whole, you know, it's sort of like, the whole, uh, if I don't feel good, I'm going to at least look good type thing. Cause it kind of changes your frame of mind. And I think it's the same thing. It, if it gives you more purpose and a sense of responsibility to get up and get dressed, whether you're going upstairs or in the other room or even the kitchen table or to a coffee shop, then if that's what it takes for you to get it done, then please get it done because you know, we want to see what great things you have to do and you need to fulfill your potential and we want you to fulfill your potential. So figure out what works for you and do that. 
Yeah, and stick with it. <laughs> yeah. So you are a, a words person, as you yeah. mentioned before. Um, I am too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long. But um, for somebody who maybe feels like writing is not their strong point, maybe they're more a visual person or a design person, but and they really feel like they need to improve their copy on their website or if it's marketing materials and they maybe can't afford someone to do it for them, what would be um, some strategies that they could use to improve the writing for the time being until maybe they can afford somebody to help them in the future? You know, I think the great thing that we're seeing now, which should be a relief to these kinds of people as well, is that less is more. So again, we talked about people just want to skim or don't want to read a lot of words or anything like that. So if you if you have a more visual image or if you feel more comfortable visually, then use lots of images and play to your strengths and, and use less words to get your message across. Um, and I, you know, we don't have to use a ton and ton of text because nobody's going to read it anyway, which breaks my heart, but it's the truth. And um, I would say two other things there, you know, again, write very much on a, my friend who's a professional editor always says writes to a fifth grade reading level. Um, so again, leave out the jargon and things that people aren't going to understand. If, and if you can't find somebody to actually uh, do all the wordsmithing and writing of your website, it is a lot cheaper if you get somebody to just do the editing. If you're worried about grammar and punctuation and some of those basic mistakes, then you can find somebody who's just an editor to do that portion of for you, and it'll be a lot cheaper. The other thing is, um, especially even for people who are used to writing, a good um, it's always a good idea to have somebody who kind of knows maybe not your best friend that knows everything about your business or your spouse or whatever, but somebody who has kind of an idea of what you do, but may not be super familiar with it, get them to read your website and give you feedback because they're probably going to be able to poke holes in there and give you a different perspective than you wouldn't have seen otherwise. They don't know what something means or they say that's interesting, but I need more information or something like that. So those are a couple really low, low cost ways to keep it, keep your budget down, but give you, um, some really good practice for what will translate on your website well. Yeah, that is great advice, writing to a fifth grade reading level. Fancier is definitely not always better. <laughs> yeah, unless you're a, a surgeon or a you know pilot or somebody who needs a lot of technical language, the majority of us don't. Yes, that is so true. So you mentioned before that, you know, well, I guess everybody in the creative industry has this issue of comparing themselves to other people and looking at other people's journeys and saying, oh my gosh, why am I so behind or why are they so far ahead? You know, all the crazy things we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. What have you found works for you to kind of combat those imposter syndrome feelings? Um, I think a couple of things. One, um, I have a mastermind that I work with. So they're people that are my peers that we can continually bounce things off each other, ask for feedback, that kind of thing. Um, And so it's great to hear from a very peer perspective. We're all, you know, we get to talk about both our wins and our, you know, things that are going badly. And so when you're talking about your wins and people are celebrating with you, then that makes you feel so much better. One of those friends also has a file um, that she actually keeps that are, kind of, she doesn't have testimonials and things on her website. So she has this literal, I think it's like a folder in her email that she keeps of when 
people say great things about her work or how easy it was to work with her or something like that. And she goes back and reads those. Um, you know, for me, I do have testimonials that I can read or I have friends that I check in with periodically. So getting an accountability partner, getting a mastermind together, um, keeping a list of those testimonials. And sometimes it's just those little bitty things that, you know, will just give you the boost that you need. I always say that entrepreneurship is sort of a, a daily roller coaster ride. At one point during the day, I'm likely saying, hey, I am kicking butt and taking names. And then at another point, just a few hours down the road or just a few hours previously, I was probably like, do people still post resumes on monster.com? I mean, you know, it's just up and down all the time trying to figure it out. So even when I'm having a low moment, I know there's probably another moment coming soon that I'll feel better about myself and about my work. So <laughs> we're so right about that. I am on the roller coaster every day as well. Yeah. It is so easy to be there, especially when you're getting a lot of online messages. But you know, those are again, back to those people who will cheerlead you and just say, Hey, I need a reality check. Tell me something that's going well for you. And I'll tell you something that's going well for me. Yes. And so do you mind kind of explaining what a mastermind is? Because I feel like I've been hearing that word over and over and over again. And I am just about to start one myself <laughs> because I've been seeing like how amazing they are for people and just even to keep your sanity, you know, yeah. but also to talk to other people, um, you know, who are business owners as well. So can you explain a little bit about that for people who don't know what they are? Yeah. And so the first thing I would say is for anybody who says they don't know how to find one, they don't know that many people, whatever it is, the thing I always recommend, at least people starting with, if they're sort of wanting to play in this space a little more, um, is get an accountability partner. I actually sort of fell into that last year. A friend introduced me to another friend and said, hey, I think this person would want to work with you. Can you guys get together for coffee? And we did. And we totally just hit it off. And she said, um, hey, I would love to hire you for writing this portion of my website. And But as I learned more about her story, I'm like, actually, you have some really great things that I could learn from as well. So do you mind, what if we tested out sort of a barter system and we could meet a couple of times a month for the next couple of months and see how it worked out, just kind of trading ideas, you know, providing feedback for each other, that kind of thing. And it quickly turned into an accountability partner where, uh, you know, every two weeks we would sit down over breakfast together and literally had to check in on, did we get our homework done? What's going right? What's going wrong? What do we need feedback on? Any of those sorts of issues and ideas. And it was just so incredibly life-giving at a time when we were both sort of drowning in the doing it all ourselves um, pool. And so I would say to start there for anybody that's interested, um, she and I did complimentary things. We certainly do not play in the same space, but it was, and so I think it could be either way. Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't get a direct competitor, but uh, somebody that does something complimentary or something that at least can give you good feedback on what you're doing and this, you know, vice versa. So that's one way to start. Then it sort of turned into, I had had kind of, a, again, looking at my network, I had a handful of friends that were all women working in different businesses, some complimentary in that they were writers, but they weren't necessarily writing for the same audience I was. One is a podcaster, one does voiceover, some different sorts of things, but we were all females working on our businesses alone. And so, um, you know, and looking at the two of us, I also wanted all of these people to know each other. So I said, why don't we turn this into a mastermind? So we started doing that in January. And so we went from just the one-on-one -on -one accountability partner. Now there's a group of seven of us. Um, 
And so we talk every two weeks, sometimes in person, sometimes um, just we do like a um, free, what is it called? Free conference call because Zoom is great, but it only gives you 40 minutes. <laughs> so um, we have the free call every couple weeks or in person and we go over some one of the seven of us presents sort of a lesson there's really no right or wrong way i don't think to do a mastermind this was we looked at a couple of them and this was the model that we came up with and liked and so one of us will talk for like 15 or 20 minutes about something we'll, we're learning that will apply to the whole group and everybody can ask questions then each person we go around and we get 10 minutes to share one thing that one win, one thing that we're working on and maybe need feedback on. And then the third thing is one thing we want to be held accountable for. So that's that's what ours looks like. And it's been awesome to be able to have these other people speak into your life and give you encouragement or pushback or feedback or whatever and just help you not feel like you're doing this whole thing alone. And so, you know, I think whether you are the head of a business and you have employees, you still at that point have nobody at your level to talk to in a, a very peer oriented way or whether you're working by yourself, it, it could work either way. Oh, I am so into that. Like just not only as a way to talk to other people about what's going on in your life and vent or, you know, get advice, but you know, just lifting other women up who are business, you know, owners and entrepreneurs and all that. It's just an amazing thing. And if you are interested, just go out there and like join a Facebook group and ask around Rising Tide Society or anything like that. There, I'm sure people are out there who are looking for the exact same thing you are. So that is something that I'm probably going to do in the future because I need it. Because it can get lonely sometimes as a business owner. And it's hard to keep things in perspective. Yeah. Perspective for sure. And if you're working in a vacuum, you're probably not doing your best work either because no one else is speaking into it. But yeah, I mean, and don't get over that's why I was like, don't get overwhelmed by needing to go out and find this whole group of people. Start with an accountability partner and test things from there. And um, you know, it's it's a really incredible experience. And it was one of the top two things I think I did in my business in 2017 was just having that other person um, that we could kind of be accountability buddies for each other and just say, okay, here's, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. I need some cheerleading. You know, sometimes we just show up and go, I just need to complain. That's all I need to do. And that's fine. You have somebody to sit there and listen and gladly do it because, you know, maybe your partner or parents or whomever you speak with all the time, best friend is just, they can't relate on the same level. They want to, but they can't. And so having that person who's really right there in it with you is just completely life-giving. Yes. And I'm so glad you mentioned bartering and trading services because that's something that when I first started my business, I used utilized a lot and actually did it for the podcast. I had, um, Jasmine from Simply Shea Photography, who I'm going to have on a little bit later for an interview, she took some promotional photos for me and I helped design our website. So just that is so valuable for people who are just like, I can't afford this right now, but find somebody out there who maybe needs what you do Mm -hmm. and trade. And it's a good way to make new friends too. Yes, absolutely. Anything you can do to expand your network helps us all. Oh, for sure. So... Let me just ask, you have given a ton of great resources so far, and I've been writing all of them down, and we'll link them in the show notes, but um, is there anything that uh, you have out there, like books or courses or podcasts or really anything that you found helpful that you would recommend to someone? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Only one? (laughs) Um, Okay. Let me think. I have... Probably one of the books I've recommended the most to people is The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. 
um, not only from just a very practical standpoint, like, you know, starting with a small budget, getting your business up and running, but to me, and we talked about this a little bit, looking at these experts and looking and feeling like, oh, I can't do this on this level or I'm frustrated or whatever. One of the other pillars of this book that I love is that all the people he talks about in this book had like, I want to say it was around $1,000 or less startup, cap startup capital. So it was all very relatable stories as well. And it gives you a sense of not only the practicality of I can do this, but here are the people like me who have done this. Um, because I think we, especially in marketing, we get a lot of false sense or somebody's like, you know, I made six figures on my first launch and you can too. And then when you don't, you just get frustrated and want to give up or that kind of thing. But this book, I, I think presents both sides of it, very relatable and very applicable. Um, so that's when I talk about, about a lot. Let me see podcasts. I love business boutique by Christy Wright. Um, who she's a Dave Ramsey coach and she talks about uh, her whole thing is to women entrepreneurs. And so she gives very practical advice in her podcast as well. Um, building a story brand is another great one with Donald Miller um, that gives very practical, applicable tenants of business and helps you to see, again, going back to that clarity piece, um, that's a big pillar for him is how you position yourself and how you communicate clearly. And so those are two things that I think we can all stand to hear more of as well. Um, and then business, uh, what is it called? Business with Purpose with Molly Stillman is another one I love just because it also, it's very in line with my business of she, um, talks about businesses that are doing good things. So she has a lot of nonprofit leaders on and a lot of for-profits, um, but always people who are trying to do good things in the world um, through business, whether that's for a nonprofit. So I really, I like that as well. And gosh, I, there's so many. <laughs> I have a resource list on my website for this very reason, because I could just sit and talk about conferences and different things, but books and podcasts all day long. I love it. I love learning. And speaking of your website, um, I'm sure there's going to be tons of people who want to check out you know, what your website and everything that you do. Tell everybody where to find you. Signify.solutions is my website. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a little unusual because the URL doesn't end in .solutions rather than .com, but I did not have the, here's a bootstrapping measure, I didn't have the $20,000 to pay for Signify.com. <laughs> so I went a little atypical and it's worked well so far. Awesome. So what's something that you're excited about coming up in the future? Any big goals or plans? Yeah, I two things that one I've been working on in my head for a long time, and I think it'll finally take shape this year. And that is creating more digital products and resources um, for my ideal clients, because I know, as you mentioned earlier, not everybody can afford to work with me. And that's totally fine. I get that. I want to respect people's budgets. So I wanted to give them um, if they can't afford a one-on-one -on -one service, then I wanted to give them something digitally to solve small problems. So I'm not 100% sure yet if that'll look like an e-course or just some small digital downloads. I'm thinking probably the latter right now, but I'm excited to test that out and see if I can still help get people results in um, smaller ways and give people to test the waters working with me if they can't do the one-on-one -on -one services. So that's one. And then the other is, um, as I mentioned before, this kind of need that I didn't anticipate, but that's come up in my world a lot recently is helping for-profit businesses figure out how to incorporate philanthropy. I think it was, you know, we all very easily overlook our own 
talents and skills as our strengths because they come really easy to us. And so that was, I think, one of those things for me. And then people kept asking, well, I would like to give back. I would like to work with a nonprofit. I, I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what I have to give, any of those things. And so helping people figure out a way to give back is really exciting for me as well. So I think um, later this summer, I'll, I'll actually start officially offering that as a service right now. It's sort of like, if you contact me and ask me about it, we'll figure out a way to get it done. Because if I can get more people giving back, then that's a win for everybody. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I've so enjoyed talking to you. I could talk about marketing all day. <laughs> and you, you have a lot to market. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, you've given some amazing resources and strategies, and I know people are going to be so grateful to uh, you for sharing those. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you, Katie. I'm excited. I, I'm excited for more women entrepreneurs to get more resources and to get themselves noticed and grow. So that's going to be a great thing. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with the amazing Christy Porter. Before I sign off, I just wanted to tell you guys about a really exciting announcement that I have. As of yesterday, I have launched my new company called Modern Darling Media. It is a full-service, all-inclusive media company where we offer marketing, social media marketing, brand photography and video, graphic design, branding, and some web design. So it is the one-stop shop for the creative entrepreneur. Check us out on Instagram at Modern Darling Media and visit our website at moderndarlingmedia.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast. Be sure to visit www.hustlenomicspodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover bonus content. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or if you want to apply to be a guest, use the contact form found on our website. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep hustling.